Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I'm your host, Ben Brown. Today, we interview Dr. Sebastian Gonzalez out of Huntington Beach, California. Dr. Gonzalez owns and operates a sports injury rehab facility in Huntington Beach. He specializes in working with active professionals aspiring to keep the athleticism of their youth. He believes aches and pain associated with getting old are extremely preventable. Sciatic, hip, and shoulder impingement are conditions he sees on a daily basis with high success. Uh, Today, Dr. Sebastian and I talk about the types of clients he works with in his practice, some of the common injuries and associated injuries we see with boot camp style classes, CrossFit style classes, and high volume, high repetition type movements, and what sort of strategies that you guys can implement for both accountability and injury prevention on a day-to-day basis. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. Complete Essentials is the only all-in-one exercise nutrition drink scientifically proven to boost energy and recovery with no artificial sweeteners, no stimulants, no coloring or fillers, and tastes great. Sit tight until the end of the show and I will have a 15% off code for you to use at checkout. I hope you guys enjoy the show and as always, if you enjoy it, subscribe, like, leave us a positive review and uh, share it with your friends. With that said, we'll turn it over to Dr. Sebastian Gonzalez. Dr. Sebastian Gonzalez, how are you? Great. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. What's going on? Uh, nothing much. I'm in my little storage closet of a studio at the office here. Um, so yeah, just hanging out, staring at some foam board. Perfect. You do what you got to do, man, right? Yeah. So you have a practice in San Diego. and uh, um, Huntington Beach. Huntington, Huntington Beach. Beach. Perfect. And tell me a little bit about your practice. Uh, so I, it's funny, like when actually when people ask me what I do, I try not to say my professional degree because we actually get pigeonholed a lot. Mm. So I'm actually chiropractic by trade, but I do a bunch of strength conditioning. We do a bunch of rehab. We do what we call corrective exercise. I actually don't really adjust too many people. I will if they need to, but, um, I, I see a lot of people who are just athletically minded, and I don't want to say professional athletes or anything like that. Um, I see a lot of runners, a lot of CrossFitters, and so on. And it's um, I like to plan my programming to where, or my rehab to where they feel like they're empowered because they're in, they're basically changing how they feel by how they move, rather than me just doing an adjustment or tissue work or anything like that. Yeah, so, so that's kind of where we're at. And so within that, within that scope of practice, so you're doing some training, a lot of rehab based stuff, you're doing soft tissue therapy and you, you specifically specialize in active release technique. Is that correct? Yeah. Active release was actually, it's funny how I, like when I got into this profession, like the, the guy that I went to, which, uh, I did a podcast recently about my experience with, I was 15 and I ended up having back pain playing baseball. And I went to a bunch of people and I went through finally a guy about after about eight months that he, he did mainly active release, but also a ton of conditioning or strength training as well. And so I kind of went down the route of active release or tissue work. And for a couple of years, I forgot about the importance of stabilization in the body and like strength training. Although I was doing it, I just forgot to preach it. So, um, 
active release is my tissue work of choice. Um, again, I don't use it on everybody, but it's definitely a really, really good tool for the toolbox for people that just aren't, they, they feel like there's a, an area that's gummed up on them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm personally very familiar with it, but for people that are not familiar with ART, given it's a, a soft tissue mod modality, what's the difference between ART and what someone might get when they just go for a traditional massage? And why would someone be interested in receiving ART therapy versus a chiropractic adjustment? Like when would it, it be most beneficial? Yeah. So I know that when I when I first started working on people with ART, it was really people that have tried a lot of other things and they've tried tissue work, they've tried adjustments and so on. And, and I'm not going to say those things don't work. Um, it's ART is just extremely specific. It's a patented type of soft tissue work. Um, I think in the past they used to say that it would really um, go in and just be more of like a uh, releasing scar tissue, they call it. Um, but the more I'm really learning about like the semantics of tissue, um, tissue adhesions or like scar tissue stuff and blah, blah, blah. It's, I, I tend to think it's more of like we're improving relative slide. Um, an example would be if I pin one muscle or layer that's on top of another layer of muscle and I move the muscle on top, then we're improving relative slide between them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes those gummed up spots can produce mm -hmm. some pain. Um, when you have just standard tissue work, if you're not moving with the tissue work, I tend to think it's a little bit more compressive and you're not getting that relative slide. So, um, and I know a lot of people will probably say, well, what about the scar tissue? Um, scar tissue is, I think it's, an, it's a normal process. Like we get it in our skin with a, you know, when you cut yourself, I recently tore my hand up with glass. Um, scar tissue is normal. You want it, you want it to form, but um, I think there's very few people that are actually probably receiving tissue work that actually have legitimate scar tissue problems. Mm -hmm. I think they more have a relative slide issue um, because a lot of people I don't think do enough work or have had enough direct trauma to a spot to merit scar tissue development, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. What, so what that makes me think about is <clears throat> when you talk about like pinning the muscle and how with active release, technique um you're basically moving the joint while stretching the muscle I, I don't know if i'm doing justice to the technique but yeah it's well it's pretty close i mean like i always think of like how complex can we make this whole thing but really yeah. it's like it's to the consumer it looks like you're holding a spot they're asking you to move if you can't if they can't move it then you move it for them um, the best form of it is if you can find the spot, the interface between two muscles and have them do the movement. So you're creating slide and pull between those tissues or layers. Um, yeah. it's, it's a little bit harder when it comes to two joint muscles, but you know, probably from a general standpoint, you can say like, um, say we're working on the elbow region and there's a gully right there that everyone has their biceps. You can kind of fill in there from the side. You can feel where it stops and you feel another muscle pop up there. You just go right between them, extend the elbow, you might move the shoulder, and that's kind of what ART is, but it takes a really skilled practitioner's hand, and that's why mm -hmm. it takes so many hours to really, I mean, it takes a lot of money to go up there. I mean, I think I spent sure. 10 grand learning it. So that is, uh, I know a lot of the ART providers out there will probably say, hey, just, you know, don't make it that seem that simple. You can do it on yourself, because there is a, definitely a skill with it. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree with that, but, but what... 
what I've found a lot of value in is like you were talking about the, the, the aspect of moving the joint. And so specifically for people where they get gunked up um, mm-hmm. is in the hips, in the shoulders, in the areas where just some traditional soft tissue therapy like massage, while it may skim the surface, uh, literally, um, it, it really helps get deeper into those joints that may be gunked up because of our, you know, daily activities or lack thereof, sitting all the time, driving, all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the no, I'll, I'll back up a little bit one second here, because um, actually I was listening to that podcast you did with the Costa Rican guy earlier, and he was talking about like, um, he was talking about hip mobility, I think. And whenever we talk, and I was actually having this conversation the other day with a, with a friend and we were kind of arguing back and forth about like how we would treat this one type of person, person with a back injury or back pain. And he's like, well, I would ART the hip because he's an ART guy too. He's like, yeah. ART, I do the hip and then I would work on some stabilization stuff for the torso and that usually works. And I'm like, yeah, I like that, but I'd probably do it the opposite way. I would ART the hip, but at the same time, how do we know the hip or that muscle or the hamstring is not tight for a guarded reason. Yeah, yeah. So neural tension. So I'm more of the thought that I would see if neural tension is a, is a reason for that hip to not be working or the muscle to be tight. And then if it's not, if, it, if there is a legitimate reason for scar tissue or slide issues, then I will address it with the tissue work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And just part of individualizing your protocol and, you know, using it as a modality for when it's necessary, you know, if and when it's necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is a big thing. I think shotgun something is, uh, hmm. I don't think it's the best thing, but I guess shotgun, you you do kill a bird. So, I mean. Well, (laughs) I I suppose that's part of the art of, of your, you know, running your own practice and being in, in practice for a certain amount of time. I mean, how long have you been, been doing this? It's probably almost been 10 years now. And I mean, I don't, I don't practice the way I used to anymore. I, right. I still have aspects of all, I'm sure I won't practice the way I do now, five years from now. Exactly. Yeah. But when we get out of school, you know, we're, we're out, we're equipped with a hammer and everything looks like a nail, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's a good analogy. I like it. <laughs> so, so how did you get into this practice? Um, like this practice, practice specifically, or actually no, in, the- <clears throat> into chiropractic. What was the what was the impetus to get into chiropractic and to specifically start to work with kind of this athletic minded population? Okay, that's that's a good two part question. I'll hit the yeah. second part of that. Um, Perfect. So the I actually wanted to be an architect when I was younger, and I wanted to. I actually like drawing, and I liked putting shit together and building things. And there was these like I don't remember. How old are you? You're like 38. 38. Did you ever have Capsilla? There was a toy. It's not ringing a bell. It was, it was kind of like, there was like Legos. Uh, there was the Legos that had actually gears and shit in them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. These were like bubbles that had gears and you can make things that yes. float in the worm wheels. And I know what you're talking about. Of course. So I like that kind of stuff. So I really like to see how things work and everything. And uh, as I was going through high school, I thought architecture would be cool because you get to build stuff. Yeah. Um, then I realized that it was kind of more, it was like computer graphic stuff. Yeah. And I didn't care about that anymore. So I got this injury. Um, when I was in high school, I was trying to beat out a ground ball to first base. I impacted the base with, I forget which leg now, it was years ago. And then 
immediately went down, had to take myself out of the game, went through rehab, orthopedic surgeons, MDs, painkillers. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. I did three months of rehab. It just, it was a lot of foam rolling, a lot of stretching. Was that um, a disc herniation or? Well, you know, so there was a, the only thing found on imaging was a three millimeter central disc protrusion, uh, no effect on the nerve root. There was, they actually did a bone scan, which is great. They did a, um, they did a CT. They were looking for a fracture, which is a great call because I don't know if people know, but about half of the people who have, um, half of the kids who have high school low back pain, a lot of them are, are stress fractures of the spine. So the protocol for addressing that is very different than like a muscle guarding or like a, a muscle spasm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really glad they looked for that on me. Um, but anyway, so I went through a bunch of rehab. It didn't help out. I find this guy who I eventually, he helped me out a lot. I started to play and I got interested in what he was doing. So he was a chiropractor who did active release. Um, his name is Dr. Ron Higuera. He was about 30 minutes away from where I live. So I drive out there a couple days a week and, uh, my mom actually drove me out. And, uh, so we did tissue work, we did strength training. And so I started to work there for probably, God, it was since the end of high school and probably all throughout college. Actually, I, I take that back all the way through grad school. So I was there for about six, seven years. Mm-hmm. So I told him that I was like, well, I, I kind of like it. Why don't I just take one of these courses just because it, it's interesting. And he's like, well, that's kind of stupid. Why don't you just do the practice? You know, why spend the money? And so I started doing that. Um, I took the course actually before I was actually in um, chiropractic school. And from that point, really decided on chiropractic or MD or PT or PA. It was really, uh, it was, what's your scope of practice? And I don't know if everyone understands this completely, but um, like a massage therapist won't have the ability to diagnose, nor will, nor will a trainer. A trainer doesn't have the ability to touch, a massage therapist does. Chiropractic can kind of do all those parts. And you're very autonomous, so you can make your, I don't want to say your own rules, but you're not really... Uh, you don't have to report to anybody. I thought a PA, you're borrowing a license for an MD. So chiropractic sounded really good, but I already kind of knew the way I wanted to practice because I knew what it worked for me. Um, your second part of the question was the why work with athletic minded people. And I'm sure that you're probably realizing with nutrition, it's harder to change someone's uh, habits when they're not completely uh, health minded. Mm-hmm. It's better when they have at least they, like some type of self-installed goal. And at least, and I realized this early on when I was working with a lot of runners, is that at least you have their attention for about three, four months when they're training for this half marathon marathon. After that, it's a whole different story. They might not care. They're like, I finished it. My goal's done. Right. But in the beginning, you really like, there is a goal there. So it's not just pain that's their outcome measure anymore. Now it's a, can I complete and will I be comfortable? So that's why I like athletic minded people. I, I like working with the other people too, but they have to be willing to change a little bit and be moldable. So within your practice, it sounds like you've got quite the integrative practice in that you're kind of addressing the, the full spectrum of terms of like what potentially caused the injury, but certainly getting them out of pain first and foremost, but then helping them get in a position to avoid any further injury going forward. Is that Sound fair? Yeah, I really don't. I don't like using pain as an outcome measure. Um, like we kind of say, pain's the last thing to come, first thing to go. Um, you can see movement dysfunctions or disorders well early on. Um, so I really try to. I ask people if 
if, if they comply with what I ask, I usually ask for them to come for a block of time. I ask them to consider it like a college course. It's a crash course on how to move. Yes, we're going to address all your pain, all your issues and so on. But I mean, I, I commonly have people that come in with knee conditions and I might start with, let's look, let's look at your torso strength. How do you sit? How do you walk? Um, uh, do you have enough endurance in your torso? How does your hip look? And I had this one lady one time where she's, she'd come about like two, three times. And finally she said, when are we going to do something for my knee? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, we are, you know? And, uh, so, I mean, I can definitely do stuff early on to, to mitigate knee pain, but I'm not doing them any favors. And so I want my long lasting, uh, legacy to be, to leave people better than how I found them. And I don't think mitigating pain or getting rid of pain enough for them to tear it up again is really a, a good idea at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a lot of how medical and, um, a, a lot of, uh, sports injuries are, are, are managed now. And that's how insurance companies, the insurance companies don't pay for function. They pay for pain. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that might in and of itself might come with the stigma associated with chiropractic. As you talked about, you know, <clears throat> when we first got started in terms of people just coming to a chiropractor, just to immediately relieve pain, like, look, I'm just going to pop in for 10 minutes. You're going to adjust me and I'm going to be out the door. And while that may do something, it's not obviously addressing the root cause of why someone may be in pain in the first place. Yeah, it's really, and I, I, I think that's just misunderstanding on consumers parts. And I, I know that they, they probably have it with everything they have it with nutrition, you know, like, um, you know, 30 day cleanse They're, They think there's like some type of block of time, which is going to, but it's, it's their entire lifetime. Yeah. Um, I remember I had a guy come in before. Actually, we have people call all the time. That and, and I've told my my front office that these, like as a quick screen, if anyone calls and says, can I, how much for an adjustment? I say, please don't, like, unless they're going to have a little conversation on the phone, don't even book them because they're going to want a quick fix. Same, same thing, same thing here. How much to do a, a diet plan? Like, you know what? We, we really need to get, get down to the nitty gritty here and find out what you really need. Yeah. Well, do people ever ask you like, you know, like, Hey, what are five things like, you know, like five foods I should eat? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, of course. But the best is if we're out like eating cheeseburgers or something, they're like, Hey, what do I need to do to lose weight? <laughs> like, dude, should, not, do they, ever, the they ever order the cheeseburger and they're like, you know, Hey, no fries. Can I get a side salad? Yeah. Like as they're like <laughs> shoving the buffalo wings in their face, not the time or the place, brother. Hey, so, so <laughs> What are, what are like the common imbalances or I guess uh, maladies that you see on a day-to-day basis that like the majority of the population that comes in is, is dealing with? Um, like what are the typical injury types they have? Yeah, injuries and or Im- imbalances that lead to injuries. Like what are the common things that people are showing up with that may have exacerbated or may have, um, you know, turned into some sort of injury? May have been yeah. the for an injury. Um, I've seen a lot of hips and a lot of shoulders. Um, I, I'm kind of thankful I don't see a lot of foot and ankle anymore because they kind of stink sometimes. And uh, but recently I've gotten a ton of low back. It's like they just come in floods. And also I guess I'll start with the low back stuff since probably majority of I mean I think the estimation is like seven out of ten people in the U.S. are going to have it at some point. Yeah. Um, and the thing I find just commonly with people with the low back area is that they just disrespect their body completely. 
and they disrespect loads. And so I might ask them to show me, you know, like maybe we'll go over a hip hinge or like a semi-loaded kettlebell deadlift, something like that. And I, we drill in for them and they look pretty good. And then I tell them, let's go to the ground and do something else. And they get down there and they just, you know, they're rounding over They're like, they're, they're not keeping the same stiffness or, um, uh, uh, composure that they need to, if there was the weight below them. So, I mean, a lot of times, usually with back pain patients now, I first, I, I go over postures with them and I see what they're first, I examine them first. So there's a lady just recently that came in. Um, actually, well, I'll tell you about this kid. So kid, this kid had actually, he didn't have back pain. He had calf pain and um, he was only about 13 or so. He wasn't very old. And so he's standing there and he's totally locking out the leg that he's uh, having pain with. And then, so I said, is there anything you can do to make this pain worse or better? And, and he, he said, no. And I said, can you unlock your knee for me? And he's like, I'm like, how does that feel? He's like, yeah, it's better. You know, so throughout the exam, you know, like I have him stand up. I'm just kind of tricking him a little bit because you want to see what he's really doing. And uh, so I'm like, okay, let's stand up again. I want you to bend forward, touch your toes. All right, stand there. And like, I'm like, hey, tell me about what are you going to, what are you going to do again today? So he shifts and he extends his leg again. I'm like, hey, I'll tell you what, every time that you shift to that leg, I'm, I'm just going to snap. I'm not going to say anymore. I'm just going to snap just to draw your attention to how many times you're doing this that you're basically disrespecting and you're loading that structure so it can't desensitize. So, I mean, I think I gave him about 20 snaps that day. Um, but we went over seated posture, sleeping posture, how to walk, how to stand. I mean, all this stuff was, I mean, he came in the next day or two days later and he's like, I feel so much better. You know, and the first thing I looked at when he walked in the door, I mean, I didn't even speak to him yet. I just peeked around the counter and I said, I said, Hey, you're standing better. looks great. He takes a seat and I'm like, Hey, we can, we, I see your feet are not st- uh, drilled in the ground. Let's, let's fix that. So people, they seem to have a very good attention span for that time, but it's almost like, I think of it like church. You're a good boy in church. You get out of church and all of a sudden you crush beers and like have a terrible day. Mm-hmm. You go back next week and you're really good in church. So sorry to church people out there. Yeah. Um, but it's the same way with back stuff. Hip stuff is the same. We have a lot of um, impingement. I don't know if you've heard of femoral acetabular impingement. Sure. So it's a pinching part in the front of the hip. And a lot of times you can decrease their pinching really quickly within about 30 seconds if you just have them brace the abdominal region, which then posteriorly tilts or brings the pelvis back a little bit. So it unloads that structure and like, hey, that went away. You know, so now the thing is, how do we get you to do this a lot so that area is desensitized? And now how can we do it with exercise? Because you're going to lose form as soon as you start breathing hard. So, so you're really helping people create more body awareness. Body awareness is a really big part. Um, but it's really hard to have body awareness, I think, for big blocks of time. So, um, I mean, even spending 10 minutes, five minutes, you know, building up your volume throughout the day and the week is probably going to install a better habit. Um, but it's, yeah. And it's, it's part of, uh, kind of creating or reinstilling that brain muscle connection, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of proprioception, neuromuscular isolation, the, the, uh, just the body awareness and space and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a, I, I think a lot of people don't they don't think about their body unless it hurts. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it stops hurting, they stop thinking about it. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Chi Running. I heard, I listened to part of it. I, I, I actually go out of my way to avoid anything that has the word running on it. Oh, I thought you were going to say Chi. 
<laughs> no, chi, chi I'd be much more likely to embrace than running. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm not going to argue with, argue with you there. But uh, yeah, chi running, he, he, he mentioned something about like, he like sit here. It was an audio tape. So I think I was in the car at the time. And he's like, think about your ankle. And I sat there and thought about my ankle. I was like, when's the last time you thought about your ankle? I'm thinking, been a long time. Good to talk to you, you know? So what body awareness is the big thing? Well, well, what's, I mean, makes sense, but, but what's the, where's the disconnect for people? I mean, if this is, isn't this something that should seemingly be intuitive or ingrained in our physiology because we're moving beings? You'd, I think you'd, you'd think so. I mean, I think we're getting into a deep philosophical reason of why people act how they do. Um, I, I don't know uh, why, but I think they can get it back very quickly. It just takes good, effective cueing, um, blending their, uh, or some accountability is a huge thing. It's probably just like nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they, once you don't force them to come in to be, you're, and once you're not the accountability partner anymore, then you have to find them a new one or you have to put it with like, hey, do, do 10 reps while you're brushing your teeth or something of that nature, you put it with another habit, I think they're going to do all the time. Um, but, but I don't know why they lose the ability. And I, I think overall, we're just inactive. Most people are very inactive people. Um, but I don't know. I don't have any. Yeah, I, mean, I would agree with that completely. <laughs> I mean, I would say because we don't move. Yeah. Anymore. So we completely lose touch with what it feels like to move the way we initially grow up to move from the time we're babies, you know, we're programming these move, movement patterns to how to deep squat and activate our core and, you know, roll over and stand up and do all these things. But we, you know, and maybe that's stuff that should stay with us that we lose because then we're just sitting and playing video games and sitting in the car and sitting at work and, you know, and don't, don't exercise consistently, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I think uh, I heard Dan John say this before. I think it sounded right. He said, uh, what's the difference between someone who's in a, a, a retirement home and someone who's independent? And he said the, the ability to get off the toilet. And so I think people need to squat and crawl. And like, I mean, there's, there's, there's people who are deathly afraid of going to the ground because they can't stand back up. I mean, that is a basic human thing. Just get off the ground, you know? Yeah, it's a scary, that would be a scary, scary position to be in, but you're absolutely right. Um, so, you, you know, you talked about part of your practice is establishing accountability within your, your clients. How do you do that aside from them obviously just being present with you? I mean, you said they're, they're focused when they're in with you, but what sort of tools do you use to help them reinforce the things that you're teaching them throughout mm-hmm. their, their training sessions? It's a good, good question. There was actually early on, uh, there was a group, just a specialized group of, of patients that I guess I would, uh, they'd be friends now. So we went out to dinner afterwards or uh, once a month and we called it the workout pact. It really wasn't a workout thing. It was more just accountability and they had to, and I was included in this. It's whatever you want to improve on during, the, during that month, whether it be meditating three times a week, you had to, the, the criteria was you had to spend 10 minutes doing it per block. That way it was at least semi-hard. It wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to go, you know, put eye drops in my eye or something like that. Um, it could have been anything. And so the, the deal was 
it was you put $20 in at the end of the month, you have $20 that you either you don't lose if you hit your goal all the time. It was honor system. Um, and if you lost the if you lost the, the pact, then your $20 would go towards everyone else's dinner and you'd have to buy in next month at $25, then 30, then 40, then 50 and so on. And there was a girl that actually she um, money was not her motivating factor. So I told her that the next time you're going to have to stand up in the restaurant and go dance in front of everybody. So we, we went along with public shaming. Mm. Um, so there was people have different motivational factors is, is I guess my point. Um, I started implementing after that in the very beginning of when people come in, I have a, uh, a I have, I write up all the rehab on one sheet of paper, at least for the first couple of weeks. And I say, look, you're supposed to do these X amount of times at home. What I want you to do is at the bottom, I'm like, you don't have to do this, but if you do it, you're probably going to fare better. So the bottom says something effective. I'm going to pick one accountability partner. It could be a coworker, wife, friend, whatever. And I will tell them what I'm doing and they will check in with me, sign this, you know? And I'm like, you can install any type of, you know, motivating tool you want to. You can be, uh, it can be money. You can hand them money. You can, whatever you want to do. But it seems like the people that do that do a much better job. Um, another system is that I tell them before they leave that, uh, each day, if I've taught them something new and I want them to implement it, I say, next time when you come in, I'm going to ask you to demo all these. And if you don't demo these well, then guess what we're going to do next time? The same thing. And I'm like, do you really want to pay me to keep doing the same thing with you? So that seems to work too. So, yeah. And after that, when they really start liking doing it, they just kind of do it on their own. Yeah, because I've, I mean, I like those. I, I like those a lot because I find that pr- what what you probably see is is that you teach people these, you know, you give people these tools, and it one it gets them out of pain, um, but you know, maybe gets them feeling better, moving better, and then they may just kind of the second they're out of pain or starting to feel good again, disregard it, but then the second the pain starts to come back on, well, then they're motivated to like start doing it again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. that sounds like a, it, it, ha- it does happen a lot. Uh, I let it slide a lot more early. Um, but I try to, I try to address that really early in, in care with people. Like I, like I have uh, the podcast that I mentioned there. I mean, they're with extremely educational parts there are like uh, other experts that if I want to share a topic of like, say, I don't want to talk about super stiffness, but I want Stuart McGill to talk about it. And I want someone to listen to it, which I do have a guy that we we're kind of bickering back and forth for about 10 minutes of his appointment. I'm like, look, we can talk about this whole time if you want to, or I'm, I'm going to send you a podcast. So yeah. I send him the podcast next time he comes in, he's like, holy shit, that changed my life. All right, hmm. let's do it. You know? So I think educating them early on with whatever I'm trying to develop a lot of tools for it. And you'll, you're going to be an expert on the nutritional part when we go into my podcast. Mm. Um, I think that helps people understand that it's not just about the pain. It's about, you know, a, a longer duration of time. Yeah, that's great. No, that's good. And, and I, I agree with you. I like using uh, ancillary resources as well now, because sometimes even though they're hiring you, they need to hear it from someone else as well. Yeah, they they really do. (laughs) So talk to me about what are, what are you starting to see? I'm I'm not, I'm assuming not starting to see, what are you seeing with the types of training? Like what are the, 
the issues that are starting to show up with the types of training that people are doing nowadays with CrossFit, with HIIT training? What um, do people need to be cognizant of with those types of high volume um, compound lift type uh, training methodologies that could potentially leave them um, in an injurious state? Yeah. I mean, so I think people, when they, when they see exercises, they, when they, if they see a lot of weight, they think it's dangerous, but I think what they don't realize is there's a ton of people that get hurt running. There's a ton of people that get hurt doing, uh, body weight stuff, boot camps. I mean, you name it, they get Achilles issues, foot things, hip things, back things. I mean, your own body weight is not extremely safe. And especially if you're, if you are overweight to, just crush that joint with multiple reps is probably, uh, I think it's a little bit more reckless than just doing one or one to five heavy reps, you know? So I subscribe more to the idea that I think every rep should be solid. It should be impeccable. There's no really an ex- there's not really an excuse like, Hey, I was fatigued. That's why it's like that. Well, if you're, if you're going down that mindset, then you're basically inviting injuries into your backyard. So, I think one thing that people don't tend to understand is that one of the variables to that will decrease form or improve or increase the amount of compensation patterns you have is breathing or respiration rate. So if you don't have proper breathing rate, which will create high intra-abdominal pressure, which stabilizes the back, stabilizes the pelvis and the hips and blah, 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 then you're, you're, you're asking, you're, you're getting form degrades basically if you, if you can't breathe well. Um, another one is load. Um, another one is speed. So there's a lot of things that I'm sure people are thinking, well, I'm doing that with my, you know, hop squats. And there's a, uh, I remember so back in the day, there was a test that we would use for ACL injuries called the tuck jump test. And we'd only have people do it 10 times. First rep, good, 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 crap, crap, worse, worse. Okay, stop. You're hurting yourself, you know? So if you're saying that this person is allowed now to play basketball with that, right, with that same type of form, then I think we're not doing them any justice. And I, I'm, I feel like with boot camps or, or high intensity stuff or CrossFits, people need to get their ego aside and they need to just realize that if your form is crap, you need to stop. And I don't care about this clock. I don't care about the, what, the, what the whiteboard says. You just need to stop, get your form back and treat yourself right. I mean, especially when we, so we're talking about form we're t- and then with CrossFit types workouts or boot camp style workouts, we're talking about complex movements. So whether it's, maybe it's deadlifts, maybe it's a uh, hang, hang clean, maybe it's overhead pressing for far more reps than what most people can do with, with good solid form as a deadlift, for example, you know, when we're talking about doing 21 reps of a a barbell deadlift, I mean, so what, what sort of injuries are you seeing as a result of these types of of things? With usually you'll see, you'll see a lot of back uh, quote unquote hip SI stuff. A lot of, um, I don't want to say midline things, but they'll definitely feel things into like the thigh, um, inclusive of like hamstring quote unquote strains, or maybe it's neural tension, who knows. Um, but I think it all comes down to if they're, if they're allowing their spine to move or unstack under load, because they're racing or they're trying to beat somebody else, or they're going beyond their uh, functional capacity level, then I think, or basically, or I, I guess I'm confusing myself. I'm speaking, so I'll clarify. Um, yeah. If they're loading their spine 
with an if a, with a non-optimal stacked or stiff pattern, then they're just going to tear themselves up. And it yeah. might not happen with one rep, but it'll it'll happen over time. Well, have you seen that an influx it. in? Have you seen an influx in clientele coming from? I'm not going to. I mean, I don't mean to completely isolate CrossFit. There's n- numerous examples of it, but CrossFit's one that's just most popularized. Yeah. Um, well, I, th- I think that, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say CrossFit is, is bad or good. I don't want to say boot camps or even I've seen Olympic lifting, which is crap. I've seen bodybuilding. That's crap. I've seen a lot of things that are great. Um, but I think it really comes down to, uh, cueing proper form. And it comes down to, can that athlete or that person keep form while someone's not watching? So I would say that with any realm, and this happens with, with sitting, I've seen great sitting. I've seen crappy sitting. So if you do things with poor form or poor posture, inclusive of even sleeping, you sleep with poor posture, you will wake up feeling worse. So everything out there has to do with, are you, do you have the proper stiffness? Do you have the proper protection? Do you have the proper posture to let your ball and socket do the work, your shoulders and your hips? Those are the drivers. The other ones are just mainly just along for the ride. If that makes sense. Can you elaborate a little bit on the stiffness you would, you had mentioned, and I don't know if this is the same thing, but you had mentioned earlier about super stiffness and yeah, how it so, pertains to these types of things. So I, I can't take credit for either of these ideas, but this is what I tell people that come into my office. And I really try to, um, I have a whole long article, which I can give you a link to, because I've had this conversation so many times that I wrote a 30 page document on it. Mm-hmm. And it goes over the history of people's understanding of, the core thinking is for six pack. Then they thought it was belly and back. Then they thought it was just, um, oh gosh, I forget the third one I put, but for the most part, core performance or exos, um, uh, came up with a concept called, uh, the pillar system, which sure. I thought was really cool. Have you seen that one? Yeah. I'm very familiar with it. Yeah. So the pillar I thought was great. Um, mainly because it goes, I thought it gave a region to what, a lot of other people in my profession will call midline stabilization or what I guess I think Greg Cook was the one who said proximal stabilization or midline stabilization. So that to me, that means function and it doesn't mean anything from the, uh, I don't think patients can visualize about when you, when you say core, they think, Oh, six pack. Right. Yeah. So I want to get away from that. So the pillar is the encompassing all the way from basically the neck down to let's say the pubic bone but it's really down into the, uh, around the ball and sockets. So the pillar needs to keep the proper amount of stiffness when appropriate. And so some people might think, well, like I'm going to make it stiff all the time. Well, then you can't dance like Stuart McGill would say. He said, you need a spine that's flexible, but also ability to become an iron rod when needed. So you have to have, I call a gradient of stiffness or tension. So if you're lifting weights, you need to have the appropriate amount of stiffness and then you have to have, I call regional stiffness. You want stiffness in the pillar, but you don't really want it too much in the hips because the hips have to move. If they were stiff, they wouldn't move. Right. So drive with the hips, stand tall, stack the pillar, push the weight to the ground. Don't let gravity do the work for you and respect your body with the same type of movement with sitting onto a toilet. Um, same thing will go with shoulder-based stuff. So I think people's... Uh, their hips do need to work better, but I don't think we can ignore the fact that the I-beam on top of it, the pillar, has to be um, the proper amount of stiffness if we want one RMing. You know what I mean? Sure. 
Yeah, I, I, that makes sense, a lot of sense to me. Um, for those people that are listening, when we talk about the core, now that they understand the terminology revolving around the, the pillar system and that actually being it far more than just the abs, just the erector spinae or the lower back muscles, <clears throat> what's the philosophy that ties in with that around how to develop the six pack or how to train those muscles? Do we need to train those muscles um, in flexion and extension or is that contraindicated? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I never do. I never have people do it. I'm not going to say it's not. Um, it's funny when you get into like, think the realm of the, your physique athletes, athletes, or your bodybuilders, um, game changes a little bit because their goals a little bit different. So it's really based upon people's individual goals. Um, but when I have people ask me like, well, what is it? What muscles does this train? Well, we're not, we're not training a muscle, we're training a movement. And what we really want for the torso region of the pillar is to create high intra-abdominal pressure. And that comes usually with breathing. Um, breathing is a whole nother side topic. Um, I, I, so I do have references on that page too. Um, and then it comes down to co-contraction. Can we get these muscles on the front, on the back, on the sides, on the bottom to do the same amount of contraction at the same rate so we don't actually bend or flex? And so if you have that imbalance or if you're like, you know what, like I had a guy ask the other day, he's like, how do you think about good mornings? I'm like, well, I like them, but are you creating high intra-abdominal pressure at the same time? And he's like, well, it's good for training the back. I'm like, well, yeah, but you need to do the other parts too. Mm-hmm. So I think this is where we run into the problem also of the posterior chain. It's like everyone's crushing the posterior chain. Why not co-contract, you know? Mm-hmm. But I would rather have posterior chain, chain dominance than um, people rounding, I guess. Yeah. So. I, I think it's just a good thing that people are aware that they need to train the posterior chain. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when you say people need to eat vegetables, but then uh, it's, it's just good they know, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, no, that's cool. That, that's cool. So, so what would you, so for those people listening that may have, um, they may have seen a chiropractor at some point in their life and just received the typical, um, the typical adjustment, you know, the typical spinal adjustment, kind of the whole rack'em and crack'em type thing. What, what would you say is the main benefit of, of seeing a chiropractor? When would it be appropriate? Because in my opinion, everyone should be seeing a chiropractor at some point, but, but searching for someone that is a little more integrated, such as yourself. So, so when should they see him and what should they actually be looking for in a uh, well-trained chiropractor? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what comes to mind is like, I mean, I think of all the, the people, uh, chiropractic or PTs that I blend well with. And I think like when I have conversations on the phone with them, even trainers or coaches, like it's, we have the same philosophy. It's not, it's not that we're divided camps or that we hate the MD or that we hate the ortho. I mean, I think, I think a really well-rounded chiropractor as well as any healthcare provider plays well with other camps. And it's, it's understanding that, what we let, let's just say in, in the, in regards with uh, low back pain, would an adjustment help with low back pain with a, uh, with a disc injury? Maybe not. Would stiffness work? Maybe, you know, and that was came up with, uh, that was a Stuart McGill thing. He was a PhD. It's not even in anybody's camp really, you know, but 
it, he's found really good science to validate it. So should I just, you know what, that's not my, that's not my camp. I think I'm just going to ignore that. Mm. So I think integration of new research into their plan of attack is what is needed. Um, and I would ask them just to say, look, you know, like what, you know, maybe what have you found exciting about, um, you know, sports medicine or, uh, movements over the last few years, you know, ask some things like that. Like I, I, I'm not saying adjustments are bad because I do adjust people too, but I tip, I typically take ideas from many different camps. I'm not good with nutrition. I think I've told you that already. Um, but I recognize the need. I don't say it's bad. This, this adjustment will help you only, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. that. I appreciate that. And I, I agree with you completely. I think that people need a multitude of practitioners at their disposal. There's very few that I found that are kind of the jack of all trades as much as, as much as, you know, we're getting in a, in a, in a state where chiropractors also want to be nutritionists also want to be functional, you know, medicine practitioners and where personal trainers now also want to be soft tissue practitioners and kind Mm -hmm. of physical therapists and, I think if you've been around long enough, you realize that you kind of need to get myopic with, and really good at, at kind of just one thing. But for those people listening, that it'd probably be a good idea to get with open-minded practitioners, but understand that like probably not one practitioner is going to be able to facilitate all of your needs, but make sure that they're willing to be on the same page with each other and respect the the level of knowledge and, and education and experience that each of those practitioners is bringing to the table and utilize it and learn from it as opposed to just kind of, you know, uh, uh, just sloughing off the fact that they may be seeing it. You're a chiropractor. They may be seeing a physical therapist and just saying, well, physical therapists, like they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think, I think maybe, I mean, they can probably come to that conclusion if they, I mean, if they question more and they talk to the therapist about the case, but, um, it's, it's really comes, it doesn't come down to the, you know, like we hate this profession. It's, it's, it's this individual might not be the best for you and this one would be better. Um, but I mean, I, I feel, I, I tell, I'm very open about if a concussion comes in, I, I try not to manage it. I mean, if they have nowhere else to go or they're very resistant of leaving, I, I mean, I get rid of them. I don't like post-op ACL cases. You know, like I, I don't like working with certain types of cases, not because I don't like the people, it's because I'm not good at them. Yeah. And I think everyone needs to be able to say I'm not good at something or I don't know, and then refer out. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good stuff. Um, Sebastian, where can people find more about you? Um, I'm pretty active on my website. Not that I will answer things on the site because there's no area to put comments. Maybe that's in the future. So that's p2sportscare.com. Um, uh, I do answer a lot of things on Instagram and actually on YouTube if you're willing to wait about two weeks for me to respond. Um, I answer every single comment if it's a valid comment, um, meaning it's more than just, ah, this hurts. That's me. You know, things like that. It's like if you if you have a legitimate question, if I can answer it, I'll direct you to a resource. Um, so YouTube's good. Uh, I'll, I'll supply you a link with that. And, um, but yeah, the Instagram, is pretty much it. I hate Twitter. And your podcast? No, the podcast is performance play sports care dot, or it's performance play sports care. If they go onto the website, p2sportscare.com, there's a, there's a section drop down that's podcast and they can just find the iTunes link through there. 
Perfect. We'll make sure all of those are in the show notes. If you guys are into joint health, into injury prevention, into the latest and greatest in what's happening in the field of, of um, joint care, then you're definitely going to want to check out Dr. Sebastian's uh, podcast. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, all right, my brother. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on the show and I appreciate your time and, and uh, you're certainly a wealth of knowledge and it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, man. I I really enjoyed being on. I, uh, you're you're not you're not a bad person to look at when we're, when we're doing this podcast here. Thanks, man. I appreciate so that. Likewise, <laughs> we'll have to hang out next time I'm in Huntington Beach. For sure. Why were you Why were you here? Are you were you here specifically for that event? Or yeah, I just um, I'm I'm friends with the the guys over at Kilo. They're big supporters of our, our nutrition and supplement company, and um, and they obviously associate with good people. Um, mm-hmm. smart people in the industry and there's no one better in the field of, of strength training and program design than um, Stefan and yeah. uh, his crew. So I just had Stefan. Uh, I, I interviewed him about oh, two weeks ago, actually. Um, it's, it won't be live yet, but uh, he is a smart dude, real smart dude. Yeah. He's a very smart dude. I just, uh, I had interviewed him previously. I believe his episode was live. Uh, um, a couple weeks ago and uh, it has been very well received. Oh, good. Good. So, you need, they, they, people, they, we need more people just like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's an anomaly though. Um, I've never, no one, no one, no one cares more about the details of program design than he does. Yeah. But yeah. he's a good, good person to boot. Yeah, definitely hit me up uh, when you're out. I I'm not out in Chandler very much, or I would say one one time ever. I think driving okay. through. <laughs> All right, my man. Will you take care? I'll talk to you soon. All right, later, bud. This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy, both in and around your workouts, as well as reduce muscle soreness without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape or lemon lime.